Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Bleacher Report staff writer Marin Fader. Marin is one of the top sports features writers in the country, and she recently dropped a terrific profile on potential number one draft pick LaMelo Ball, a must-read for Warriors fans curious about the possibility of Ball landing with the Warriors. On Tuesday afternoon, Marin joined me on the phone to discuss her winding career path, approach to storytelling, experiences with the Ball family, and much, much more. All right, Marin, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so basically, I just wanted to to pick your brain about a bunch of stuff. Uh, as I've told you uh, just just before we started recording here, I'm a huge fan of your work. I know a lot of my listeners probably are as well. I'm also a huge fan of uh, your Twitter feed. Uh, you're you're really open about the writing process. You, you share what you're going through when you're working on a story. You know when you're when you're having a tough time with a lead or you're having a tough time crafting a narrative. You'll you'll go to Twitter and talk about that. Which I find very refreshing and 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 different because a lot of us, you know, we just kind of go through that stuff behind the scenes and then uh, go through our personal turmoil when you're, when you're talking about that and then turn out the product and and the the reader has no idea, you know, what went into producing it. You know, I think that that last point is so true. People really have no idea what we go through, right? Like we're just slaving away in some coffee shop, uh, losing our minds, trying to, you know, write something that is remotely coherent. And, you know, I just, I'm in love with writing. You know, I'm really in love with words and, you know, the structure and how you put it together. I, I just feel like sports is the perfect backdrop for that. And so, you know, if I can share what I'm going through, I definitely know I'm I'm not alone. I've, I've met so many writers this year that are just going through the same things. And I, I think that it's, it's good to talk about, you know, there's no, there's no right Twitter feed. I think everyone wants to be funny. Um, and I, I just prefer to nerd out, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm a nerd. I'm a fellow writing nerd myself. And sometimes I, I feel conflicted because I, I kind of want to do more of that type of stuff with my social media. But sometimes it's hard when you're a beat writer. I, I think you feel kind of an obligation to just, focus on the news and, and, and providing that service to your reader. And honestly, I'm probably overly conservative when it, that, it comes to that stuff because the, the the real reason I got into sports writing, which I'm guessing is probably true for you as well, is just to tell good stories and, and to get at the human condition. And um, when you're a beat writer, you know, a lot of your job is, is injury updates and game recaps and, and all of that stuff. But I really do this job for those few opportunities every, you know, every year. I mean, to do the bigger stuff. Now, I find opportunities to, to do somewhat significant off-day stories multiple times a week, but uh, it's it's those three or four enterprise pieces that really get me going. And I think I think it's so cool that – you're in a position where you get to really do that full time. Honestly, that's kind of my goal is to get to a place where I can, I can do that full time. So um, just kind of let our readers know a little bit about your backstory. How did you get to this point and, and, and what kind of went into your journey? 
Yeah, well, I actually started out as an athlete. So I was a basketball player. Um, I'm very short, um, about five feet tall, and um, I took it as long as it could go. I played my first year in college. I went to Lewis and Clark College in Oregon. Ended up transferring. Oh, from Portland. Very cool. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Would love to go back to Powell's at some point soon. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I stopped playing, but, you know, I had such a hunger for basketball still, and I needed a way to – in it somehow and I've always been a writer I've written my whole life it was more just in my diary in fact the first day I started playing basketball in fifth grade I wrote about it so that was you know basketball and writing have always been hand in hand for me but I never thought of writing as a career you know who approaches um, life and says oh I'm, I'm going to be a writer you know so I think once basketball ended for me that was sort of my thought process was like okay I think maybe if I married the two things you know, that would allow both of my passions to flourish. And and that's what happened. I I started out freelancing for Slam Magazine while I was at Occidental College and SB Nation and um, freelance for a lot of places. Uh, Started out at the Orange County Register uh, for the first four years of my career. So that was 2013 to 17. Um, I was freelancing on the side for Bleacher Report and ESPN. Um, And then Register had a bunch of layoffs, uh, so I became a full-time freelancer, half Bleacher, half ESPN, and then Bleacher sent me to Lithuania for some strange reason, and uh, <laughs> to profile Lamelo Ball, and I was hired after that. So kind of a windy journey, but you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, like the human interest, the human side of things. I'm not really writing about sports; I'm writing about people that happen to play sports, and so. That's really what my job is now at Bleacher Report is, like, I want to profile interesting, compelling people. They happen to be, you know, the biggest superstars in our game, but my stories are so much more about what's going on in their minds, what's challenging them, what are they going through. So I think that stuff informs everything that they do on the court. So that's really what interests me and my work. So – Obviously, a lot of people in the industry and in journalism, really any a lot of different fields, can relate to being laid off. Everything that that goes into that, I'm sure for some people, it, it's really an identity crisis, and it can be scary. Um, for you, what was that experience like, and and how did you kind of recover from that? Yeah, I definitely thought my career was over. Uh, it was horrible. <laughs> I just remember crying in my bed, FaceTiming my best friend and really just calling everyone that um, I knew. And I I was just convinced that, you know, it was over. I felt like I had failed or something. And um, it was such a, it was such an awful moment, but everyone kept telling me this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened for you. You know, this is going to propel you to where you really want to be. You know, I wasn't moving up at the register. I was the only woman sports writer there. It was such an old boys club. Like they just did not really see in me any potential. And I grinded my ass off for four years. And I, you know, I produced so much work and it, it honestly, it hurt. It hurt. But what it did was also motivate me. And I became just so determined. I I would pitch Every Monday, I would pitch like 20 stories to different outlets, and I would just reach out to a million people and, do you need anything? I'd like to cover this. I'll cover anything, any sport, anytime I'm there. So I actually think that going through that experience helped me in a way. Did you did you have a beat at the OC Register? Or were you kind of a GA sports person? You know, I uh, 
somehow finessed a features role. Um, I basically did features on anything and everything, and it was mostly high school, and it was mostly Cal State Fullerton. Um, their baseball program is amazing, so I was covering them a lot. Uh, any local school, Chapman University, UC Irvine, uh, again, like I said, a lot of high school. So my beat was whatever people did not find, interesting stories beyond the beats. So you just, the I'm guessing it was kind of stay away from the beats where we actually have full-time beat writers and then do whatever you want type type situation? Yeah, you had to come up with your own content every week. Like you had to fill the paper and you had to bring something interesting. It was hard. I, you know, I think what you do is so hard too, right? You have to cover the team. You have to know everything that's going on. But finding interesting things in communities outside of a team is really hard too. You know, I had to just go to random courts and people and sports media, sports information people and just ask like, what's going on in your community? What's what's happening here? So it kind of honestly made me think on my toes and become really creative because people don't really realize I think the hardest job of being a features writer is coming up with stories it's not necessarily reporting or writing it's coming up with interesting things yeah it's funny you say that because just yesterday I was talking to a friend of mine and and he asked me you know what's the hardest part of your job and I think he assumed that I was going to say just the grind you know traveling all the time not having much of a life you know working seven days a week um, and I wouldn't have blamed him for assuming that, but I told him, honestly, it's, it's just coming up with fresh things to say every single day of the week. Um, because I hate being that person that's just writing a story about, Hey, this guy's playing well. So I'm going to write a story about him playing well. You know, I want to find, that might be a, a news hook that, that, that is a reason to write the story, but I want to find a bigger purpose. I want to find, um, something that's going to lend insight to the reader. I think our goal as reporters is to inform the reader and to give them something that they're not going to be able to get anywhere. And I, I try to hold myself to the standard where I'm telling stories every single day that are going to move the needle on the beat, which when you're talking like about a beat like the Warriors, especially the past few years, where there's so many people covering them, there's people around every that can be really challenging, right, to find something new to say about Steph Curry or Kevin Durant or Draymond Green. But honestly, in a weird way, that's kind of become my favorite thing about the job um, is just how the challenge of that. You know, I'm, I'm going to find something about Steph Curry that you didn't know and uh, that Marcus Thompson, who wrote a book about him, didn't know like that and that's not easy to do right but um that that's the goal right it is the goal and I think that's also why I've resisted specializing in one sport you know I love parachuting into different worlds I love talking about the NFL I love doing you know random things like track or basketball or tennis I've got a tennis feature coming up so I, I think because I realized that it, to find the interesting is to find the personality. It's about people. You know, athletes are interesting people. They are so much more than their sports. So the way that you find these stories is honestly going after people who, whose stories have not been told or people whose personalities are very vibrant um, and we don't really know what where that comes from or somebody who's really quiet and people dismiss as like not having anything to say. Those guys are actually the most thoughtful and interesting and open up when given an opportunity. So I'm just always looking for personality. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. My favorite person to cover on the Warriors is Clay Thompson. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people look at Clay Thompson and they say, oh, that guy's boring. He's kind of monotone. He doesn't really say anything. He grew up wealthy. Um, you know, he's he's kind of just a guy who got lucky in life, happens to be really good at basketball. Um, and I can understand why people would – would believe that. And I, when I got on the Warriors beat a few years ago, I looked at kind of the landscape of the beat. I looked at what had been written about all these guys. And it, it hit me that no one had really profiled Clay Thompson. You know, people had written countless profiles on Steph Curry, Draymond Green, but no one had really gotten super in depth about Clay. And I think it was largely because they just kind of dismissed him as uninteresting, which if you actually dig a little deeper with Clay, he's a fascinating person. Um, the fact that he cares so little about the limelight, about being famous, and the fact that he flat out feels uncomfortable about it, to me is inherently interesting. So over the past few years, I've kind of chipped away with a bunch of different stories that trying to trying to get at different angles of that, and that's honestly been a super rewarding part of this job for me. Well, I think bringing up this example about Clay is important because it shows, I think, you know, one of the biggest rules of storytelling, which is don't go in thinking you know the story. Think of how many uh, people have not been profiled or stories not been told because there's assumptions about said person and therefore it doesn't get written. Like the number one thing you need as a storyteller, as a reporter, as a features writer is open-mindedness, curiosity, empathy. So, you know, people said the same thing about Brandon Ingram. And, you know, I profiled him a few weeks ago and he really opened up and everyone's like, oh, Brandon's so quiet. He's so sleepy. He's so shy. No, if you were to just assume that, you'd never get that deep story on him that, you know, I was able to get. And so I I actually love the challenge of of profiling people that, you know, have such reputations because most of the time they're not true. (laughs) Right. I actually, I'm actually talking to Brandon Ingram tomorrow for a story. I've never talked to him before. Is he? He's a good interview. It seems like he is a good interview when he trusts you. And I think the way to get his trust is to ask him questions that show that you don't see what everybody else sees. Like for example, um, when I first profiled him last year, everyone was just talking about like his weight and they were just like, you know, which has been his, his saga, right? Since the NBA, like you're, you're skinny, you're not strong enough. When are you going to go to the basket more? Um, and I was, I just started my interview with him and I just said, I know everyone wants to talk about that. I don't really want to talk about your physical growth right now. I want to talk about your mental growth. And so he was really interested because I decided to do something different. So I think the key with him and the key with anyone is just don't ask about the same things that everybody else asks. And, you know, it goes back to our original conversation, but it's so true. Like I think athletes really respect reporters and writers when they just come with something new. Yeah, one thing you're really good at is is – telling a story about someone who maybe the average sports fan has never even heard of um, and giving that reader a read their story and to care about them and feel invested in their story. And um, I'm actually working on a bigger piece right now that's kind of along those lines. It's about a guy who, uh, you know, has really struggled to carve out a career in the NBA, uh, was recently cut by the Santa Cruz Warriors. Um, He's had cups of coffee in the NBA, and diehard NBA fans would know who he is. But 
the average person might not know about him or care about him in any way. And so um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on getting a reader to invest in a 2,000 or plus word story about someone they've never even heard of. Yeah, that's a great question. It's something I think about so much, and I'm reminded of um, Baxter Holmes, one of my favorite writers, his comment on the long-form podcast recently. He said something along the lines of, I'm fighting for people's memory. So you have to you have to grip people at the beginning, and I think I think the way to grip somebody on somebody you've never heard about is to find the universal themes in their lives. Like, we all know what it feels like to be humiliated. We all know what it feels like to get cut from something. We all know what it feels like to not fit in, right? We all know what it feels like to fail. And I think when you start with these themes and you sort of um, show the universal, people will read on. That's why we go see movies. Like, we want to see ourselves in movies. And so I think this guy that you're, you're profiling, that's how you're going to hook people is just kind of like, well, what aspects of his life are similar to the average Joe down the street? Um, I profiled a, a transgender girl last year who was being banned from running, and nobody knew her name, but it was her story of being discriminated against. It was her story of feeling like an outcast. It was her story of looking at herself in the mirror every day and saying, like, how do I go to school when kids bully me? And so I think that if you can find elements of their story that will relate to a larger audience, you can tell the most niche of stories. Yeah, no, and, and I, honestly, that's that's exactly why I want to tell this story uh, because this is someone who his experience I think is very relatable, um, and so uh, you know that's that's the goal. You know, using that him as a vehicle to tell a bigger story. Um, so hopefully, hopefully it works out. But that's that's I think I think you're totally on on point. We'll have more of my conversation with Marin Fader right after the break. One guy who obviously people know his name, but I don't think anyone really knew anything about uh, before you started writing about him was Lamelo Ball, who obviously is is in the conversation to be the number one pick in June's NBA draft, which still kind of blows my mind <laughs> to think that this this kid who we've seen on TV and seen in the tabloids for the past few years, this scrawny little kid could could be a legitimate bona fide number one pick in June's draft. And that's obviously super relevant to Warriors fans because the Warriors have the worst record in the NBA right now and are well positioned to have a good shot at the number one pick. Um, And it's kind of a funny situation, right? Because Steve Kerr, as you know, has been very vocal about LeVar Ball and his, his, uh, his displeasure with how LeVar Ball fathers and, and, and what have you. So it would be a really interesting situation <laughs> if, uh, if Steve Kerr ended up having to coach LaMelo Ball and deal with LeVar. Um, I don't think that will uh, eliminate him from the conversation once the Warriors are looking at potentially drafting him. Um, when, you, when you look at all the reporting you've done on LaMelo, are you just based off the, the kid you saw a couple years ago in Lithuania, the kid he is today, are you surprised he's in the position he's in to potentially be the number one pick in the draft? I'm not surprised. I think that I think that if people if LeVar had not done and said everything he has done and said for the past three years, 
nobody would be surprised that Mello is where he is. I think that like the unfortunate part is, and this is what Mello said to me in the piece is everything his dad does gets attached to him. So if LeVar had not said anything and, and all the things you mentioned with Kerr, this would be a really good player for this system. I, I think like what people don't know about Mello is that he's very coachable. I have watched this boy for like weeks on end, just so much time spent with him. I've never seen him talk back to any coach in any situation. And I've literally shadowed fly, fly on the wall for a very long time, two different countries. And even in California, he's thoughtful. Um, he, he wants to be coached and he wants to be great. And I think the sad part is, is that this was never his dream. It was his father's, but somehow despite going through all that he has gone through and feeling extremely exploited um, by all of uh, the fame and the pressure and all of the people trying to make money off of him, which was really the theme of my recent story, he still really loves basketball and really wants to be great. So I'm not surprised he's in this position. I just think that um, there's so many outside factors that, you know, give him a giant question mark to a lot of GMs because they're not really necessarily putting the question mark because of his talent. Sure, there are holes in his game, and I think we all know what those are, but I think the question mark is really his dad and what is the extent of the involvement. Um, one thing that, that I honestly respect having, not on, on this level, but having attempted stories where, you have to travel somewhere just to report a single story and you know that your company or your, your media outlet is investing a lot of money in this story. There's a lot of pressure that comes with that. You know, you, it's hard to not feel that as a writer when you have your editor saying, Hey, go, go to Lithuania or go to Australia for two weeks and write a story. And it needs to be good enough where we don't regret sending you there and we don't question your employment afterwards. <laughs> um, and how 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 do you just navigate and, and deal with with the natural pressure that that comes along with with that kind of responsibility? Yeah, I can't even convey how much pressure I felt, especially the Lithuania story. So at that point in my life, you know, I'm I was 26. I had just you know lost a job at the register, and I had just been given this great opportunity, this incredible opportunity to somehow be chosen to travel to a foreign country by myself and deliver uh, arguably like the most important story um, that they had handed out that year. And the pressure was so enormous. I felt, I felt it every single day. And especially after I got there, when LeVar um, really shut down media access after the second day. And so I just, I turn, the thing is, I feel pressure, but I, I'm so motivated and determined to deliver a great story that I just use it as fuel. So everything went wrong as far as access, but I was just like, no, like, I don't have a choice. Like, I have to come back and deliver. And I think when you are used to putting expectations on yourself and you are used to expecting yourself to perform and you're ready, you know, excuse me, and you're ready and you have editors like Christina Tapper that believe in you, you're going to deliver. So it was about being creative instead of crying in my hotel room that the access was screwed up and I was about to fail. And what if I don't get a job when I come home from this story? I just said, okay, that that's where the gym is located. I'm going to show up at 8 a.m. 
they have to come in there at some point. I'm going to just sneak into practice and figure it out. And that's what I did. And I just convinced them to let me stay. And so I watched practice there for the next three weeks. So I think dealing with pressure is just saying to yourself, like, it's not how bad do you want it? It's how bad are you willing to work to get what you want? I think a lot of people want to be writers, but they don't necessarily want to write and report. And you have to just grind it out day after day. And, and that's how you really combat those, you know, the pressure of it. Yeah, it's it's funny because I have, you know, friends who aren't in the field who will often tell me, oh, it's so cool that you get to, you know, cover the NBA finals and, and you know Steph Curry and you know Kevin Durant and you you had all these cool experiences. And they're not wrong. Like, it is cool. But there's another side to it that <laughs> – um, that they don't see. They don't see me leaving the arena at 2 a.m. They don't see me pulling an all-nighter to write that feature story because I literally don't have another time to write it. You know what I mean? They don't They don't see all the sacrifices we make to to make these stories happen, but we do it because we love what we do and we care about the stories we're telling. And that's really all you can ask in a job, right? Yeah, I think people, because I travel so much to a million different cities to report, I think people think that I live this, like, very glamorous life because I do realize, like, of course, like, I am extremely lucky, you know. I'm a features writer full-time in 2019, and I get to travel, and I'm enormously grateful for that, like, so thankful. But people don't know how hard people don't know, like, the breakdowns that I have when I have a lot of pressure on me and I have to perform and I have three stories on my plate that I need to, I need to kill it. And they don't see me at in airports at 3am eating Chick-fil-A transcribing something is due that night. Like they don't see all the hours that I put into it and, and they don't have to, but I think your, to your point about the love for it, that's what keeps me going. Like, I just have such a passion for this, and I love this so much that um, whatever has happened to me, which I've gone through a lot of stuff, it just enables me to push past it because, like, I don't want to be <laughs> famous. Like, I don't care about having a lot of followers. Like, I just want to tell good stories about real people. That's it. Another story that, that you did that I was a really big fan of was, was your piece on Giannis's little brother. And um, that's also somewhat relevant to Warriors fans because realistically or not, a lot of Warriors fans are really hopeful that the Warriors can engineer some sort of way to land Giannis. Um, <laughs> it's probably the likeliest route is through a trade. The Warriors can probably put together as good of a package for Giannis as anyone given that they have D'Lo, they have Draymond, they have a potential number one pick. Um, that they can offer. Do you just having spent some time around Giannis? I know you you actually got to go to his house, right? Uh, spending some time around his family. Do you, how realistic is it that he would be willing to leave Milwaukee? I mean, that I can't. That I don't know. But I know that they're just so close. So whatever decision he makes is it has his family in mind and not, and not just Alex, but, you know, Kostas on the um, South Bay Lakers. Now I think it was announced today, but, um, or no, it wasn't. I mean, he's already on the team. Sorry. I was thinking of Norvell today, but um, 
No, I think I can't say what Giannis will do or or not, but I think Alex is very good and very underrated. Um, he apparently is better than Giannis was at that age. He, I mean, it's crazy when Giannis. He's more like a three-star recruit, right? Yeah, I I think he's. I think he's underrated. I think he should be ranked higher. I think, like, the stuff he does is so intuitive. Like, he's very smart. Like, he just sees the game in interesting ways. Like, his body's going to change. He's going to get stronger. He's going to um, fill out. But, like, he he just – at one minute, he's, like, going coast to coast and, like, dunking. And the next, he, he's really finessed a pull-up. And, like, his jumper is obviously better than Giannis was at that time and and I think all of the family sort of looks at Alex like he's the shining light like he's the one that is going to do great things and it's hard to imagine anyone being better than Giannis which is like not humanly possible so I don't <laughs> I don't believe that but I do think from being around Alex he shares very similar traits he's got an incredible work ethic he's a team player he's smart um so I am very eager to see what happens with that family, right? Because, like, spending time with the Ball family, you cannot find a complete opposite group. I mean, they are just humble to the core. Um, They're, like, they're not just satisfied with their position and now having fame and wealth. Like, they are very conscious of money. They are very conscious of being thrown back into poverty. So I think that um, Alex is one to keep his eye on. Yeah, and, you know, you kind of hit on an interesting thing, and and I think – Steph Curry and his little brother, Steph, can kind of relate to this as well. I feel like people assume that the little brother is going to get the handout. They think they assume, oh, you only got to this point because you have the same last name as Giannis or you have the same last name as Steph Curry and Del Curry. But what I've found, if you look at a lot of these guys' stories, is it can kind of make it tougher um, because without even trying – uh, scouts are going to have Giannis's name in their mind whenever they're looking at his little brother. Um, they're going to have Steph's name in, in their mind whenever they're looking at Seth Curry, or even on a, on a lesser degree, Damian Lee, uh, Steph's brother-in-law, who's on a two-way contract with the Warriors. Um, and I and I think that can actually make it tougher. Is that is that kind of what you're seeing? I know he's not super far along in his career, but do you think that that could kind of be? Uh, Giannis's brother's story as well. Yeah, and he definitely feels that very acutely. I mean, a lot of the story was me kind of talking about Alex's anxiety because it is an anxiety, and it's a you're just how can you be as good? Like, how can you reach these expectations? Like this red carpet, just because the red carpet is laid out for you, does not mean you are going to walk through. And I think Alex is feeling that very closely and. You know, Mello was not as explicit with me about that in in talking about Lonzo, but absolutely, like, the path for Mello is harder than it is for Lonzo. Like, there's no question. Um, And I think that... also not Giannis. (laughs) Right, right. Completely different situation. But you get what I'm saying. There's a precedent. And and when you're the younger one, the precedent, it weighs so heavy. Um, You don't get handouts. You get a look, but, you know, you don't just... You're not allowed to just have potential. You're not allowed to just be okay. Like, you have to be incredible. And being incredible all the time is very, very hard for a young person. For sure, for sure. And uh, I actually have to catch a flight here pretty soon, heading up to Portland for a game tomorrow. But I wanted, before I let you go, I wanted to to ask you just, what is your favorite story 
and why that you've written? My favorite story. Um, I think I'll go with a different one that I wrote this year, the one on Roberto Aguayo, um, because I chased him for two years, uh, his agent and the teams that he played for. This is the former um, great college kicker that, you know, once he was, he was um, drafted very high in the NFL, and he did terrible, and he could not. I watched that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. he could not make a single kick, and uh, so I had chased him for two years, and I just kept saying no, no, no. And this is an example of persistence. And finally, um, this summer or earlier this year, they said yes. And so it's my favorite because it's one I didn't give up on because it was a story that I cared about a lot because it's it's not just about failure, it's about what it is to fail publicly and what it is to be shamed publicly. And, you know, so much of sports media glorifies athletes, but I really wanted to talk to somebody who's on the other side of the coin about really what it is to struggle and not knowing why you're struggling. So that story ended up being, you know, probably the most meaningful story to me because it wasn't just me saying like, oh, like you didn't make it, you know, that's it. It's just like, okay, well, what now? What do you do with your life when everything went wrong and everything you planned is not the same? That that fascinated me. And I guess just to kind of build on that, I, I, I'm kind of just curious, what what would be your one of your favorite, I'm not going to say your favorite because I'm guessing you have a lot of them, but what would be one of your favorite just pieces of sports writing that you've ever read? What's kind of your go-to read? I'm guessing you're like me when – you're doing a bigger piece and you're looking for some sort of inspiration, you have a go-to story that you read. So I'm curious what that is. Mine is um, the Wright Thompson, Michael Jordan story. Um, I have read that story like 15 times. I, (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm in awe of it. I'm in awe of it. And I think like that is literally exactly, it encapsulates everything we've talked about in this conversation. Wright Thompson made me relate to Michael Jordan because I went through a serious depression when I left basketball and suddenly like I have all of these feelings in common that he's expressing in this article about aging and loss and identity crisis. And so that, that's the beauty of storytelling right there. Yeah, that's uh that's, that got to be a go-to for anyone who loves sports writing. That's that's one of my favorites. My favorite would probably be the heart of Alquipa. Uh, the heart of football beats through Alquipa, uh, which is uh, SL Price piece from a few years ago on a uh, high school, a town, a steel mill town in Pennsylvania outside Pittsburgh called Alquipa that has produced an inordinate amount of NFL players. Guys like, I think, uh, Burrell Revis, uh, Dick, uh, uh, several other big names. And it's this town of like 7,000 people in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And he went to the town and wrote about how a place like that is able to foster such greatness. And uh, have you read that one? Do you remember that one? I haven't. But I was just about I to say, it. great, my my reading list is like 80 deep, but uh, definitely <laughs> making it to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I highly recommend that one. It's it To me, it hits on <clears throat> just all the themes, um, the human themes that make great storytelling, great make great sports writing. And I, I just read it yesterday when I was working on the piece I talked about earlier. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just fun, great sports writing. I find myself sometimes – 
procrastinating writing my story because I'm just going down these rabbit holes of reading great stuff. And honestly, you're on the list of, of someone that I do that with. You've done great work. Honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. It was a lot of fun to talk to you. When, when I'm in L.A. next, we got to meet up. we got to chat. Um, I want to I wanna continue this dialogue for sure. Oh, yeah, let's do it. I really appreciate you having me on. All right, thank you. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at claterno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.